I'm Heather O'Mahon and I'm a professor of perinatal and clinical psychology at the University of Exeter, clinical psychologist by background. And also I work for NHS England as a national specialty advisor to the perinatal mental health team. This is a talk all about mental health in pregnancy and what we do and how we help people in that situation. And I guess we know that pregnancy is a potentially very challenging time for everyone involved, but especially so for people with a history of mental health problems. So what have you learned about that group of people in this work that you've done? I think obviously you're right, Andre, that this can be both a really exciting time and a really positive time for folks and one that they really anticipate, but it's a period of huge change um, and so presents challenges. Um, and if you are somebody who has maybe had mental health problems before, um, we learned in this research that there might be some specific challenges that are happening and some specific outcomes because of those challenges. So I think there's been a lot of research and a lot of clinical work around the more mental health challenges, the well-being and the relationship challenges that can happen during pregnancy and postnatally. Um, but there's been a little bit less around some of the health challenges that can also occur. Um, and that's that's interesting because we know from outside the perinatal period that there's often an overlap between mental health problems and physical health problems as well. So some of what we learned in this study was about how women who are pregnant but have had previous um, mental health problems, and particularly we looked at the last 10 years um, before the, they were pregnant, um, the extent to which those previous problems predicted whether they had risk for obstetric or negative or adverse neonate um, challenges at birth. When you say obstetric and neonate, what, what does that mean? So, so there's a variety of different ways of looking at that. So from the neonate, you can look at things like, was the baby premature? Was the baby low in birth rate? And then also we looked at kind of a conglomerate set of symptoms of, of a range of different things that could potentially be less positive for baby at, at birth. Um, so there's that one as well. Um, and then for obstetric challenges, that it, it, there's a full gamut of things. Some of them are um, can be quite unpleasant for those for those parents. So it could be physical consequences of of birthing a baby, um, and all the way up to having a C-section. Um, so we've also got kind of a conglomerate um, factor that we looked at there. I suppose I should also say there's there's the worst kind of um, challenge that could happen, and that would be a stillbirth or um, a neonate death. Um, so we, we did also look at that one as well. Unfortunately, those are very rare, um, and that's something that's really important to keep in mind when I discuss um, these results. What we did find, um, is that if we look at women who have a history of mental health problems, and these are mental health problems as measured by whether they had accessed uh, specialist mental health services in the past. So these are people who have pretty serious and pretty complex mental health problems to have accessed those services in the past. Um, and if they had access to those services, we found that they were at increased risk it's not a given, but an increased risk of 
both negative obstetric and neonate outcomes. Um, and that was qualified by the severity of those problems and the recency of those problems. So the worst risk was for women who kind of were at the most serious levels of those problems. So if they had perhaps accessed um, crisis resolution teams or if they had been in hospital um, or if those problems were occurring in the, the year prior to them having the baby. So the, the risk was greatest there. Um, so we think that's really important um, to recognize and to know about um, that we should be asking women not just about their current mood, but also their past history and how recent that history was and the level of care that they received. And then we should be attending not just to their mental health needs, but also to the health needs um, that they might be at increased risk of having. And I suppose that's not shocking findings, is it? It's kind of quite intuitive findings in some ways that if you've had a history of mental health problems, then you might have a higher risk of having difficulties around a pregnancy, whether there's a physical or mental health difficulties. But I'm wondering about how it kind of plays into what we currently do in services. I suppose it's not just maternity, is it? It's around the kind of parental um, support that we offer. I don't know, my experience of becoming a father, this was quite a while ago, this was sort of 10 years ago or something, was that my partner was asked after she'd given birth about her mental health problems, potentially, you know, how are you feeling? Is mum okay? I wasn't asked anything, but that we neither of us were asked anything before or while she was pregnant about mental health history. Can you kind of summarise for us? This, this is hard. This is a hard question. But what do you think we currently do in services in terms of asking people about previous mental health experiences? And then what do we do if we find out that somebody has them? I, I don't know exactly how long ago it was that, that you had children, but I think things have moved forward a little bit in that um, now in maternity, it's usually regular practice to ask parents about mental health problems. Um at least at the booking appointment, but the guidance really is to ask multiple times throughout pregnancy and also postnatally. And that's really positive, I think, because it, it helps parents get early and timely intervention. And then, of course, we have had a massive expansion in perinatal community mental health teams. So those specialist teams that are there to particularly address the very specific and complex needs of perinatal parents. Um, so it's great, you know, that the whole campaign was to turn the map green and the map is green now. There are perinatal community mental health services across all of England, um, which is fantastic. So for people that don't know about that, just give us a summary. So when did that happen? And what are those teams? What do they do? So that started with the five-year forward plan. So this has been, in the last 10 years, this has really been going on, started with the five-year forward plan to at least get those services in place. And then with the long-term plan in the last five years, it's really been about expanding those services to make sure that it could reach a, a larger cohort of women and babies and birthing persons um, and to offer a, a broad range of services to them. So it's a multidisciplinary team. There's um, medication input from psychiatrists and specialist pharmacists. There's mental health, nursing support. And really importantly, with that expansion, there's also psychological treatments. There's um, parent-infant treatments that are available. Um, 
And there's also occupational therapy often available amongst a host of provision. Um, so it's a really comprehensive and perinatal specific. Um, so these are services that really get the needs of parents at a very vulnerable place in time. And this ESME2 project that we're talking about today has looked at those teams, how effective they are. I mean, what, what's your sort of overall big picture summary of the value of those teams? They're really good value <laughs> would be what I would have to say. Um, so I think what's really important to recognize is that even though the prevalence of mental health problems in the perinatal period is similar um, to outside the perinatal period, um, the rate of individuals in the perinatal period that actually get help is compared to outside the perinatal period is much smaller. So in the perinatal period, we're talking usually about 16 to 30% of people with mental health problems will have accessed that care. Um, that's before we had these perinatal teams. Outside the perinatal period, it's usually about 50% of individuals. So something's not right in the perinatal period. And if you talk to parents, they'll say, well, I feel really vulnerable. I feel really scared that people won't understand what's going on for me. Um, I want to be the best parent that I can be for my child. But what if they take my baby away, for example? So they really want to know that they're with somebody who gets it and can help them and be alongside them. Um, and perinatal teams do that. And we know from the ESME2 study and looking at linked data nationally, that they do improve the, the use of mental health support in a timely fashion. Um, and we know that they decrease um, kind of, a, they decrease more of the acute service level usage. So people are using less kind of crisis resolution teams slash hospitalization. So more earlier treatment, um, which would be far more appropriate. And the thing is, Perinatal teams help tr treat parents, but they also help the parent-infant relationship and families get off on the right foot. So there's a huge preventative effect there that's really good value for money. Um, and I think that's really important. So let's drill down a bit then into what they do and how they do it and what works. What's the active ingredient of a community perinatal mental health team? That's the million million pound question, I guess. Um, there, there's there's lots of things that that perinatal teams do. Um, some of the elements we did lots of interviews as well with um, women, um, 130 women across the country, and who had utilized different services. 55 of their family members. So lots and lots of interview data. Um, and from that data, we really found out that a the the perinatal competence is really important. So they get in there, they know the types of problems that, that parents are having, they know the way that the um, being pregnant and having a new baby affects mental health and how mental health can also likewise impact on the, the relationship with the baby and how things are going with the baby. It's not inevitable, but it can have an impact. Um, and so they can get in there and walk alongside those parents and say, we know what this is about, we know what things help. Um, and they're there with the right kind of tools that are specifically addressed to help parents during that time to deal with that. Um, they can also really reassure, there's, there's things that aren't just so specific, so they can, um, they've got all the right skills, but then they, they can reassure parents in an accurate kind of way. So what we heard from a lot of parents was them saying, 
I talked to other health professionals beforehand and they said, oh, no, it's fine. Everybody kind of gets anxious during this time or everybody kind of feels this way or feels that way. And they're like, no, I don't think this is actually the same experience as every other parent. I think I'm actually really suffering. Um, and so what they really found that the perinatal team was able to say is like, nah, this isn't exactly the experience everybody else is having. Um, but it is experience that a lot of parents do have. We know what to do here about that. Um, and if particularly if parents were having say problems with bonding with the baby and they felt really worried and scared about that, they felt like the team could provide a really safe place to talk about those problems and get the support that they needed to help overcome those problems. So I think that's also a really important part of that kind of reassurance and appropriate skillful support. Um, also what we heard from so many people, perinatal teams, I'm biased, but they do a great job of being reliable and consistent. And this is something that isn't always the case in every single mental health service, unfortunately. They're trying awfully hard, but I think perinatal teams do a really good job at that. They understand how, how many different healthcare professionals are involved with people at that point, and they're there at that, as that central kind of reliable, consistent source of support that's coordinating care for them across the piece. And when you're overwhelmed as a parent, that makes all the difference, I think, so that you can make the progress that you need. It's often a very lonely experience, isn't it? If you're a new parent and you're struggling mentally and you're struggling to bond with your child. And I suppose there's that cycle, isn't there, of shame and stigma and it's kind of fed by this whole sort of perfect parenting Instagram rubbish. <laughs> And I wonder if services, because, you know, these teams are new, as you say, they've only been built in the last kind of 10 years or so. I wonder what they can do to make sure they reach the parts that other services can't reach. Are they reaching everybody, do you think? And what, what do they do to make sure that they reach the people who are really struggling? Yeah, that's such an important, important point. So in some ways, I think they're making good progress on that front. They really know that. And I think one of the really positive things that perinatal teams do is that they involve a lot of peer support within their provision. Um, and I think that that makes critical difference um, to so many parents um, because you've got, A, they have inreach into a lot of communities and a lot of places where that doesn't otherwise necessarily exist. Um, and then they also have people that they know they kind of trust. And it's a bit of a segue into a system that you might be very unfamiliar with. Or we've also seen sometimes people have had negative experiences with other services in the past. And so having a peer who said, this has been really good and has really helped me, um, makes a huge difference to get folks in. Um, and I think there's still work to be done. There's a lot of folks that we know we still need to reach um, and we're not reaching as well as we could. So part of what we've learned from ESME and other studies have learned as well, and we know in general, don't we, is that we are not reaching as many ethnically diverse groups as we could be reaching. We're not reaching young parents as well as we could be. Um, and I think there's just a real priority and focus in teams right now to make sure that we're connecting with the with people in the community and that we're working in ways that work for communities rather than in ways that traditionally have worked for say mental health support services. So I, I think that's a real area of growth for the future. 
And then if there are perinatal practitioners listening, I'm wondering what your advice would be to them, you know, summarising the findings of your study. And I suppose I'm not just thinking of people who work in these teams. I'm thinking about people who work, you know, in, in primary care or people who work in the education system or the social care system. People who often come into contact with these parents who are struggling, who haven't yet been reached. So I would say the first thing is listen, really listen. I think we hear too many stories of women who say, I tried to get help and I was, I felt like I was pawned off and I wasn't listened to. It takes a lot for a woman to talk about their problems. Um, so if they're talking to you about their problems, there probably is a problem. And it's better, I think, to make the reference or the referral onto the service and, and let them do an assessment rather than to not do that, to believe what they're saying um, and to listen to them. So I, I guess that would be a key thing, I think, in increasing and improving access to appropriate treatment. And then what about the message from the work for other people in the system? What about policymakers? What about people that are commissioning services? Are there findings that are relevant to them? The NHS has committed funds to these services and with appropriate investment, it makes a real difference. Parents, babies get the care that they need with significant kind of efficiency around treating two people. You're treating two people, really. So this is a very cost-efficient um, service that serves long-term benefits. So I think it's really important. There's always pressures in the system, but to remember where there's long-term cost savings as well, and that people don't get this care unless there is this specialist provision in place. So really important to continue to invest in these services and recognizing their importance, particularly as the NHS is restructuring again into kind of more of these integrated care boards and there's new folks at the helm. And so speaking to those folks and saying, this has worked so well, it's really a model of care. This is something to continue to invest in as something that works and has good cost benefits in the long term. Do you think these teams are under threat? I think perinatal's uh, the little engine that could. I think it's a small service. And because of that, it's a voice that could get lost. But it's, it's a voice that shouldn't get lost. It's a really important small voice. You're talking at the UK International Marche Society for Men Perinatal Mental Health meeting, uh, which is in London on the 25th of January. So yeah, why should people get a ticket and come along and listen to you speak? Come along and hear. We've got more of the detail about why these services are working so well. Um, and come and hear from the voices of women themselves um, because we have their voices. Um, but come and get the detail around the data so you can take it back and um, make those arguments for yourselves. And clinicians come because you can see how the hard work you've been putting in has been working. Mm -hmm.